Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 182. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he once registered a domain name while out on a run, Pat Flynn. What is up, everybody? Paflin here. Thank you so much for joining me. This is episode 182 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast, and I'm really, really honored and blessed to have Ray Edwards on the show with us today. He is, how do I describe him? The grandmaster of copywriting, I would say. He and I have gotten to know each other over the last year, year and a half, ever since getting in a mastermind group together. I've always known about him. A lot of my friends have talked about him before, and to be in a mastermind group with him, I'm just so blessed because he is a wealth of knowledge and you'll hear it when he starts talking in this episode about how we could all write copy that better converts. So this is for our emails, our sales copy, our calls to actions within our blog posts and videos and podcast episodes. And you'll hear it just in the way he teaches. He's just engulfed in this world of how do we get people excited and how do we get people to take action on the words that we use? And so you're going to get a grandmaster education here for free uh, where I would have literally paid a thousand bucks for this episode and 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 the frameworks that he talks about uh, it, it's going to change a lot of people's lives and this is one of those episodes that I feel is going to live a very long time here on SPI definitely evergreen content and you're hearing it here right now so here we go Ray Edwards from rayedwards.com What's up, everybody? Pat here, and I'm so excited to welcome Ray Edwards from rayedwards.com to the SPI podcast. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. And I'm so excited, too, because you you don't know this. I'm going to spring this on you. Well, right you're starting here. with a you don't know this, but... Yes. Oh, gosh. Uh, okay. I, I first heard of you uh, quite a number of years ago because I was listening to another podcast, one of the first businessy kind of podcasts I ever listened to, one called Internet Business Mastery. Mm, mm-hmm. And that's where I heard about your podcast... And started listening to you back in the early days. Oh, no way. I didn't know that's, that's how you learn about me. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. I learned about you. I haven't told you this, but I, I've learned about you through Cliff Ravenscraft, through listening to his show. And, you know, he and I became good friends a number of years ago when I was starting my podcast. And he kept talking about you. And I was so happy to have recently met you, too. And now you and I are in a mastermind group together. And, and we talk almost every week. 
It's funny what a small world it turns out to be. Right, right. So for those of you who are listening, uh, it is Ray and I in a mastermind group together along with Cliff Ravenscraft, Leslie Samuel, Mark Mason, and Michael Stelzner, a stellar group. And I've learned so much from you, Ray, and everybody else in the group. I'm just very thankful and blessed to be, uh, you know, doing this with you. And and here you are on the show and you're going to just... I, I've looked at the outline you shared with me, and oh man, this is this is going to be top-notch stuff for for not only for everybody out there who's kind of just starting out, but for, even for the people who feel like they know they got it down in terms of copywriting. Because copywriting for me is something that I've struggled with for quite a while. And for me, my the, my solution to that was just to always let my results speak for me. And and I like that approach, especially in this space where you know the the internet marketing space. Um, a lot of people tend to not share the full story, but that that's my kind of unique selling proposition. And that does a lot for me in terms of helping to sell and build trust and, and build authenticity. But if I could combine that with great copywriting skill, I mean, that would be a home run. And I think a lot of people are very excited to, to listen to you. Um, so before we get out into all the tactical stuff, can you just tell us a little bit about kind of who is Ray Edwards? How did you get started and what you do? Well, sure. I, I my favorite subject, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's everybody's favorite subject. That's the first copywriting lesson. I love that. It's, it's not about not about me, the writer. It's about the customer because everybody's interested in themselves. I actually started in um, in radio, so it's funny that I'm po- doing podcasting now because I've kind of come full circle. I started mm-hmm. in radio when I was 14 years old. I was a disc wow. jockey, and uh, I just thought that was the dream job. And I did that for 30 years. I became a program director and station manager, and then eventually a vice president of a pretty big radio company. And I I loved what helped me succeed in that business that other people failed in especially people on the DJ side. They didn't usually last very long. But I noticed early on, the guys driving the nice cars in the parking lot were not the DJs. Mm. They were the salespeople. So I befriended them and learned how to help their customers, the advertisers on the radio station, learn how to help them sell their products and services. So I kind of had this boot tramp, boot, boot, boot tramp. That's a new term I've invented. <laughs> Heard for the camp. first time here on SPI, a boot, <laughs> boot tramp. <laughs> it's a boot camp training in how to... Uh, help people make the cash register ring because that's what local small businesses wanted. They didn't care about branding or, you know, having a great image. What they cared about was, can you help me sell some mattresses this weekend? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I did that for a long time and I started studying um, copywriting as a way to give myself an edge over other people in radio who didn't really spend a lot of time learning how to write copy. They, it just was kind of a dirty chore they had to do. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I felt like, well, that's not serving the customer very well. How can we help them actually sell mattresses or get more people into their nail salon or whatever the deal was? And so I started studying all these great classic copywriters. And then when radio kind of went into the tank as internet came along um, and more and more people, oddly enough, started listening to music without commercials. Imagine that. Mm. Um, I made the shift to, I realized I had a skill that people would pay for and I started writing copy for people online. And uh, not only did they pay for it, they paid a lot more for it than the radio business did. So I never <laughs> looked back. That's awesome. I, I, I love that. And you are a very skilled copywriter. I love everything that you do. And so let, let's get right into kind of where would you start with somebody? I mean, where would you start with me for somebody who is a self-proclaimed terrible copywriter? Like, how would you help me th- learn all this? Or is this even something that could be learned? Well, absolutely, it can be learned. It's definitely a skill. And I think the mistake that people make is they see what they think of as copy and they think, oh, I need to write like that. So they crank out this really weird, um, over-the-top, in-your-face, salesy, pushy kind of copy because they think that's what copy is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And like if you did that, people would have a total disconnect because they'd be like, this is not Pat. This is not where he's coming from. And so I would give you, I call it the pep talk. It's the powers of ethical persuasion. And 
P-E-P, pep. And the first thing I would say to you is you are, you're a great copywriter. I read your blog and I read the stuff that you write when you do your income reports and so forth. And you're a fantastic copywriter. And in fact, there's a, there was a guy named Rosser Reeves in the early days of copywriting who he wrote a book eventually called Reality and Advertising. And his whole theory, it was an amazingly startling, shocking theory of advertising. And that was, well, just tell the truth. And mm-hmm. so he, um, he wrote this slogan you might have heard before. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. Yep. For M&Ms. And he wrote many other slogans that we know as, as well. And so reality and advertising, I think, is what it's all about. And that's, that defines your brand. You're just real. You're, you know, like, you don't live this Photoshopped life like so many people on the internet do. Like, yeah. We get to see the real Pat. I mean, sometimes you're so transparent, it scares me for you. I'm like, <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, thank you, but because that's how I want to come across. I want to be the real, honest, authentic one showing all sides of the story. And it's funny because I don't think of my blog posts. I don't think of, you know, when I just write emails that are just, you know, like from a friend to a friend. I don't, I don't feel like that's copy. But then when I sit down in front of a sales page or there's an email where I know I want to get people to click on something, my brain switches its, its thinking and then I, I struggle with it. And then I don't know what to say anymore. Well, we, exactly. Because now you're trying to communicate in a language. It's not your native language. And so we have to, we'll have to flip that switch off before we're done here. Ah. So I think the, the first thing to understand, um, well, there's two things. First is being strategic before you're tactical. And there's a difference. And most people use those two terms interchangeably, but they're not interchangeable. So we'll, I'll talk a little bit about that distinction. And then the second distinction is the difference between persuasion and manipulation because nobody likes to be manipulated. I think we can all agree on that. Agreed. And when we start feeling manipulated, we immediately feel repulsion and we want to get away. And, you know, it's like when you go into the used car lot and the guy comes over, you've never seen him before and he slaps you on the back and he's acting like he's your best friend. And you're thinking the whole time, you just want my money. You mm. just want me to sign up to buy a car. So strategy is your overall approach to doing business. And tactical is the specific activities that you do in order to support your strategy. So I like to say that tactical behavior would be like you're figuring out how to arrange the deck chairs on the USS Titanic. And strategic behavior would be getting off the ship before it sinks. Right. So in that case, no matter how great your tactics are, if you don't achieve the strategic objective, you are in a lot of trouble and your tactics are totally useless. Got it. So... In the case of like SPI, you have a strategic approach and that has been, you provide massive value. You have total integrity, total transparency, sometimes scary transparency. And because of that strategy, whatever tactical move you make, like if you wrote the worst quote, worst sales letter ever written, um, which most copywriters probably think it would be because you would be writing it from your true authentic voice. And I think that's exactly what you should do. Mm. uh, Then people will buy what you're selling because they know you and they know your voice. And that's why they, sign up to get the smart podcast player. That's why they sign up for the one day business breakthrough workshops that you do with Chris Ducker and the other things that you do, because you already have influence with your audience. And when you put something in front of them, they just say yes. Okay. So follow-up question, because I have this great relationship with, with the audience. Um, and, and thank you guys for listening. You guys are amazing. Uh, do I even need to worry about copy or can I just be like, Oh, I don't, I mean, like, why are we recording this episode? We did like, I, I got it. You know, people, people will listen to me. Well, that's a great question. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong because they think that, well, I've got a great relationship with the audience, so I don't need to do this and I'm just going to wing it. Mm-hmm. And it would be the same thing as, you know, I might ask you, why did you redesign your website? You, you had a great following. You had a great audience. What was the purpose of redesigning the website? Well, uh, really, it, it was, uh, it was to, to, make the connection with the audience better. It makes their experience better. 
It makes the feeling that they have when they come to your website better, and it solidifies visually what we already know intuitively about Pat Flynn. And it, it's, uh, it's important. And the words that you say are important. You know, um, sometimes when I'm giving a, a seminar or a talk to a live audience, I'll pick out the, the biggest, most brutish looking man in the audience. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll point at him. I'll say, hey, could you hand me a pen, please? And he'll get up and walk over and hand me a pen. And then he'll go and I'll say, thanks. And he'll go back and sit down. And I'll say to the audience, now, I just controlled a six foot four, 240 pound muscle bound guy <laughs> with my words. Love it. That's how powerful our words are. And so you, yes, you have the relationship, but you need to be able to say the right words. I mean, you have a relationship with your wife too, but I bet you can't just grunt at her and get her to do what you want. Uh, no, <laughs> no. <can't>. definitely not. <laughs> so you, you write in a way, especially in your case where you're, you're going to be selling something at some point, you want to write in a way where you're influencing people before you meet them, before you ever have to ask them to buy something. And you've already done the hard work of writing for what I call strategic influence. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll come back to that. But when you, when you influence people strategically with your writing so that they're already, they know you, they like you, they trust you, you move into the area of now you're going to write some copy to sell something and you want to persuade and not manipulate. And that's why weird copy always feels weird when it's like those big, you know, gigantic headlines that say, you can make money with the new 2015 internet income exploder system. Mm. And, and you're like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It makes me feel gross. We like see that everywhere that. though. Like, so I think, you know, part of me is like, oh, that must work. Huh. And that's what the people who write that kind of copy will tell you. Well, this works. Yeah. Well, it does work in a weird little subset of people who are, I like to describe them as like the internet MLM. They're internet marketing people who sell internet marketing stuff to internet marketing people who sell internet marketing stuff to internet marketing people. Uh-huh. It just goes all, it goes all the way down like that. And they've, they've trained one another to think that this is how you're supposed to write copy. So for those people, that kind of copy is what they, they look at it and say, that's good copy. They must know what they're doing. But to all the normal human beings in the world, it's like, that's weird. Don't talk to me like that. You're shouting at me. Mm. And so the difference between persuasion and manipulation really is the difference between external pressure selling and internal pressure selling. And external pressure is where the customer buys because of pressure that you're exerting on them for your reasons. Because you know I'm exerting pressure on you because I want to make money. Mm-hmm. That feels weird to us. And internal pressure is where the customer buys because of pressure they exert on themselves for their reasons, for their own reasons. And so our challenge as copywriters is to understand our customers well enough so that we can tap into and communicate with them directly at the level of their internal desires. And there's a great copywriter named Eugene Schwartz who wrote a book called Breakthrough Advertising back in the 60s. And you can get it. It's really expensive now because it went out of print, but it's like a, you can get it for like $150 on Amazon. If I only had one book I was allowed to ever own about copywriting, it would be that book. And even though the language is a little dated, you know, it's like Mad Men. It's a diff- totally different era. Yeah, yeah. One of the key distinctions that he makes in that book is you cannot create desire in people. You can only channel desire that already exists. So you can't make them want your stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, th- and this is the difference between persuasion and manipulation. On an external level, persuasion is when you are selling to a customer for their reasons. And manipulation is when you are selling to the customer for your reasons. And that's the external, that's the way to identify it from the outside. From the inside, on on an internal level for the customer, when I am manipulated, I make decisions that I regret later on. 
when I'm persuaded, I make decisions that I am celebrating later on. Right. I'm glad right. I made that decision. I love that. It's almost like the difference between inbound marketing and outbound marketing, you know, where you're kind of getting cold traffic on Facebook and this is outbound marketing, right? You're, you're kind of really reaching for it. And then the inbound is kind of like, well, you're just doing your own stuff and other people are kind of being attracted to you based off of what they can connect with. Exactly. I mean, you know, Seth Godin calls it interruption marketing and who likes to be interrupted? None mm -hmm. of us. Perfect. Yeah, this is, this is, this is great. So how can we apply this in terms of the specific words we use or, you know, when, when, when do we get to that level of choosing words or do we just simply keep these principles in mind when we are just, again, being ourselves when we're writing? Well, you've got to, you have, there's more of a, a path to follow. And I don't, I'm not a fan of um, being overly formulaic because I, I have this feeling that if I can see the formula as a reader, then it's probably not very effective. It's like if you watch a movie and you've seen this plot a hundred times in different, other, different movies and you go, oh, I know what's going to happen next. That guy is going to say, it's quiet, too quiet. Then it feels predictable. And we're like, eh, I'm mm -hmm. not really thrilled by this story. So you don't want to be that predictable. You're, I just got a point. You're really good at pulling out examples. Kind of just, it seems like out of thin air. Like you make these analogies and similarities that make it very easy for me to understand what it is you're talking about. Like I might understand kind of what you, the, the, the words you say, but then when you say, oh, well, it's kind of like, you know, this, that example you just, you just gave, well, then it just really makes it easy for me to understand. Is that just, I mean, I see this used in, in copy and, 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 and emails as well. And it, it, I feel like, I don't know, is it, like, let me ask you, do, do you have like a bank of these analogies that you just pull from that, you know, make it easier for people to understand? Or do you just, are you that good that you come out with them on the fly? <laughs> I'd like to tell you that it's either or. It's a mixture. I, I aspire to have a bank of all of them in Evernote. Right. I, I do have a huge number of them in Evernote. That's cool. Um, but I don't get as many of them into Evernote as I wish I did. I, I will see a great example. and I'll think that'll make a great example. And I should put that in Evernote. And I will in just a few minutes. Then I forget. Um, so I'm not perfect about it. But, you know, I, I am fascinated by this stuff. I'm fascinated by communication and why yeah. people respond to communication a certain way. So it's like anything. I mean, if, if you're a football fan, you don't probably don't have a lot of notes and ever note about football, but you probably know everything about it, especially about your team and the league that you're in, most interested in. And mm -hmm. I don't know much about football. So I probably just said something that made me sound like an ignoramus, but um, <laughs> like my wife loves football. It's people get weirded out because they're like, you don't like football, but your wife is a football nut. Yes, that's correct. That's how it works in my house. <laughs> Deal with it. So, but uh, I do study it and I, I do think about it. And it's an important point, you, uh, important point that you brought up because we get so caught up in our own language. Like I could talk to copywriters and just use copywriting lingo and they would all understand what I'm talking about. But again, I don't really deal mostly with copywriters. I work mostly with small business people and online entrepreneurs to help them sell more of their stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they probably think that copywriting is about how to protect your intellectual property by having that little C in a circle on your paper. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, I run into that all the time. And it was a shock for me. I realized they don't know what I'm talking about. I need to stop using that word with normal human beings because they don't get what that is. So you do need to think about, well, if I were hearing about this for the first time, and I love using analogies and examples because that is the, that's the way we learn everything. As a small child, you learned everything by association. Like even the alphabet you learned through singing a song. Mm -hmm. You can probably sing it right now. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. We all know that song if we were raised in the culture that uses that alphabet. So 
I think that's important. to, th And that's why one of the reasons why sales copy ends up being long. Is it, have you ever looked at a sales copy page and thought, oh, man, who reads all this stuff? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> but is, that, is all that stuff necessary? Uh, well, good question. And a lot of copywriting colleagues of mine would um, want to take me out and burn me at the stake for saying this. But um, I think copy is getting shorter now than it used to be. And it still works. It works better now. Mm -hmm. I still think it needs to be longer than most of us are comfortable with because we feel like we're just going on and on about ourselves. But the reason that it's so long in the first place is because if you think about it, we're making a presentation to people about buying into an idea or a product or a service, and we're not having a two-way conversation. So if we're having a two-way conversation, you and I could talk. If I were showing you a car, Pat, we were walking around the car right now, and I could say, well, this is the new Tesla. And I know you wanted one for quite some time, and you're thinking about making the jump at some time in the future. If you follow... Ryan Moran's investment advice, maybe you'll be able to get one. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a great show, by the way. Thank you, yeah. And we are having this two-way conversation and I can look at you and see your facial expression and you can ask me and you can say, now, how long does the battery last and how does it work and uh, what kind of leather is in the seats? And so we sit down in the car and you're asking questions and I'm watching and listening and the conversation can be a lot shorter because we've got that two-way interaction going on. But if I, if I was going to write you a letter about a Tesla... Well, now I would have to answer all those questions in advance yeah, yeah, because you might ask all of them and I need to make sure I've answered all of them. And so that's why copy is often so long. But um, it doesn't have to be as long as it used to. And this is what other copywriters get annoyed with me about because they're, they've preached the long copy gospel for so long that they just believe it without thinking about why it may or may not be true anymore. Mm. And so now copy is much more visual because we've, we've changed as human beings. We are much more video and image oriented on the web than we were when the web started. When the web started, it was just all letters and links. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we got 52K modems and we could actually look at pictures on the internet. And uh, then we got DSL and we could actually watch video, sort of. And then we got broadband and things really started to get really different because now we can watch full length, high definition videos and we can have great high res pictures. And so... So much communication is visual now. And I think it's great because you can have less copy, more imagery, and you can be speaking to both sides of the brain. Mm -hmm. the, the left, and I know that there's research. Don't, don't write me emails and say, Ray, that research is no longer true, but I'm just generalizing. We have a creative side of our brain and a linear side of our brain. And we can speak to both parts of our consciousness at the same time with words and pictures. So it doesn't have to be as long as it used to have to be, but it has to be longer than you're probably comfortable with. And then if I were to ask you what makes the perfect sales page, I know that's a loaded question, but would it be a mixture of video with images and nice graphics along with the text as well? Well, I'll qualify. I would say yes, but I'll qualify it with this. It also depends on your audience. Like um, sometimes I sell products to writers and writers, guess what? Like to read. Mm. <laughs> and a lot of them uh, have this innate kind of prejudice against video and imagery and I know it's weird, but they, they respond better to longer blocks of text and less images and less video. That makes sense. Although they still respond to video. Mm -hmm. um, but for most people, a combination of those things is best. And, you know, you just have to look at the page and ask yourself, is this telling the story that talks about their problem and what we can do about it and how we can help them with it? And um, I have some, you know, one of the first things you have to know is like what, what level of awareness is the person that I'm speaking to, what, mm -hmm. what level of awareness they have about their problem or the, the product that I offer. So that's, a, I have a little acronym that I use. This is like one of the most important things. Like if you wanted to stop listening to the show, you shouldn't because we have really great stuff we're going to talk about. But if you wanted to, 
you could walk away with all, what I'm about to tell you, and it would make a huge difference in how you sell things to other people from now on. And I call the acronym OPEN, O-P-E-N. And O is the oblivious level. This is the hardest person to sell to. This is like a vacuum cleaner salesperson comes to your door and you're in the middle of dinner with your parents. Mm-hmm. And you're, if you're the vacuum cleaner salesperson, you're an annoying pest. They, these people don't know about you. They don't know about your product. They don't know that they have a vacuum cleaner problem because they think they've got the great vacuum cleaner already. So they're totally oblivious to you and they're extremely hard to sell to. And the next level is P for pondering. Now, this would be the person who, for whatever reason, they've started thinking, we might need a new vacuum cleaner. Our carpets are dirty. The old one's not working as well. It was a hand-me-down from my parents when we got out of college. So maybe we should think about getting one. And maybe they've even looked at um, consumer reports at vacuum cleaners. And then you show up at their door, and they're at least a little more open to have a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. And E is the person who's engaged. They're actively searching. They may be out in the store looking at vacuum cleaners. And, you know, that's when the salesperson descends on you and because they know, whether they've thought this through or not, they know, well, if you're here looking for a vacuum cleaner, you must want one. Right. And, and then the need person, um, a colleague of mine, this is kind of graphic, but he calls it, this is the person who walks into the ER with a bleeding neck. Yeah. They want treatment immediately. And so this is the person who's got a, a party at their house tonight and their vacuum cleaner broke and they haven't vacuumed in a week and they need a vacuum cleaner right now. So they're going to go to the nearest store and buy whatever's available but they can get back to the house with the quickest. And so I like to share with people that the best group of people to focus on is those who are in need the most of your solution. And if you can talk directly to those people, you'll draw in people on the periphery just because they may have some interest. But it's the people who need what you have are the ones who are most likely to buy. And by the way, they're the ones you don't have to hard sell. Right, right. So when we are coming up with copy, when we're writing our emails to get some sort of action, a click or a, a purchase or something, think of the people who, who need what it is that you're offering. There's going to be different ranges of people, people who don't even know what you're talking about to people who are kind of thinking about it to, like you said, the people who want it now. Those are the people that we should be imagining and visualizing on the other end. What does that mean in terms of the tactics we use? Well, okay, great question. Um, so I have this other acronym. I love acronyms. I, uh, yeah. You, you've, I'm sure you've noticed by now. I like it though. This is, uh, I call this the pastor system. I think you need to pastor your readers. And I always have to tell people up front, I'm not suggesting you become a preacher. The original meaning of the word pastor meant to shepherd. And you know, mm. what does a shepherd do? The shepherd cares for the sheep and takes care of the flock and protects them from wolves and makes sure they have water and food and that they're taken care of. And so when you pastor your readers or your customers or your listeners, then if you think of it as shepherding them to a point of making a decision that's good for them, mm-hmm. that totally feels different than I'm going to sell you something because I need to make some money. Absolutely. And and to kind of precursor all this, you obviously have to have a product that you believe is going to help. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, I laugh, but you are so right um, because I have actually had situations where I've had people talk with me about a product that they wanted me to write copy for. And as I dig and ask questions, uh, they will say something to me that indicates they don't even think their product's good. Yeah. And that's when I say, well, I'm not your guy. This this is not, I can't do that. David Ogilvie said something. I I don't have the quote exactly right, but David Ogilvie said, nothing exposes a bad product faster than good marketing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've heard that. Heard, heard something like that before too. And it kind of reminds me of this product that I was in the middle of creating in 2011. And it was off the back of my initial niche site duel where I built a site from scratch and I publicly shared all the results and how it went and step-by-step step. people wanted coaching. And then I coached some people. People became very successful with that. And then I was on my way uh, doing a course and then a number of things started to happen with Google in terms of changing their algorithm, which made a lot of my material, you know, half as good as it was. And then I got through and I finished all the videos for this course and I never released it because I was just, I didn't believe in it. And, and, and I, I even remember working on the sales copy and word for word, I felt like I was lying to myself Ooh. and that was a good, I, I'm glad I caught myself before I, I launched that because then obviously that could have been detrimental to my reputation and, and, and how people feel about the things that I come out with. And yes, I spent, you know, hundreds of hours on that, but I pulled it back because so I lost a hundred hours. I still have the trust I have with my audience. Well, you, and you made the right decision, obviously, but those are hard decisions to make. Very hard. I mean, yes, but I mean, when it comes down to it, going back to what I really originally mentioned, you got to believe in the product. And if you don't believe in that, then it's not going to work no matter what words you write. But then also on top of that, you know, I feel like a lot of people do have great products, but it's in their mind that they don't believe it's going to help too, or some sort of phantom thing that comes in and tries to stop them from from doing yes. great things and helping others too. Do you have anything to say on, on that before we get into the, the acronym here? Yes. Um, in fact, it's so important because, um, you know, we start with the, the people that we're selling to, like how we're serving them. What do they need? What What is their biggest problem that we can help solve and how would that look if we solved the problem for them? And I actually learned this um, when I was working with uh, the Tony Robbins organization and writing some copy for some of their events. And I really, whenever I write a project, and I don't write for clients anymore, very, very rarely. Uh, but whenever I'm on a project, the first thing I do is I want to know everything I can about their customers. Like, And usually bigger organizations like that have customer files where they you, they can tell you the average age, income level, um, mm -hmm. but more than that, they can tell you the education, the political leanings, what TV shows they like. I mean, it's kind of spooky sometimes how much information companies can have about their customers. But it's good uh, for you as a business owner to know as much of this information as possible because you really get into their life uh, in your head. Like you can, I have a, a friend named Brian Keith Voyles who has this thing he calls the instant empathy exercise and he sits and imagines himself going through a day in the life of the person he's writing to. Like from the moment they get out of bed until the moment they go back to bed at night, when they get up, what they have for breakfast, what they do during the day, what to do at work, what it's like when they drive to work, what kind of car, the sounds, the smells, the sights. And he, he's got this huge amount of empathy built up by the time he starts writing. But then not only do you have to know your, your person really well, but you have to know your product just that well too. And a lot of times when I work on copy, for clients, I would know the product better than they knew the product. And I would, mm -hmm. and this is something I picked up from reading about Eugene Schwartz because he used to sell books back in the 60s at like 10 times their retail value and he sold them through newspaper ads. And one of the ways he did that is he would read the book like four or five times and take 100 pages of notes and he would make a claim in the copy and this happened a lot. Um, he would make a claim in the copy and the author or the publisher would say, you can't make that claim, it's not in the book. And, and Gene would say, well, yes, it is. Because on page 172, you said this. And on page 37, you said that. And if those two things are both true, then this conclusion I came to must be true. Mm. So it is in the book. So that's, you know, he had such a deep-seated, more belief in the product, even than the person who wrote the book, because he had studied it so carefully. And if you can do both things, if you can deeply empathize and get into the 
mind and the life of the customer that you're helping. And you can deeply walk through in your mind how the solution that you have can really change their life and where they might end up if they didn't have the solution. Then copy flows from a totally different place. Love and when that. people don't believe in their product, that's when they end up writing that overhyped, over pushy copy. Right. No, I love that exercise. The instant empathy exercise. I'll have to, to do more research on that. I love that. It almost sounds like how, because I know a lot of the listeners out there listen to John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire as well. And he talks about Jimmy, his, his avatar. And he walks us on his presentations about Jimmy and where he goes and what his day is like. He's driving to work and so on and so forth. And it helps us, it helps him understand what decisions to make. But I, I definitely feel like that kind of exercise can also help you with what, what words to write and how to write as well. Yes, absolutely. When I was in radio, we had uh, like one of our stations, we, we had an avatar for every station and one, we had a light rock station and the avatar was Carol. And we knew everything about Carol. And we always asked before we did anything on the station, would Carol like this or would this upset her? Wow. That's so cool. It's, it's a powerful exercise. I love it. So let's get back into the pasture. Yeah. Okay. So um, the P, we're shepherding people to a place of decision. So the P stands for two things. First, it stands for the person you're writing to and you want to know as much as you can about them. And then the P also stands for the problem you're proposing to solve. And you need to know right up front what that big problem is. And once you've figured out what the, the big pain point of this problem is for the person that you're writing to, the next step in pastor is the A, which stands for amplify. And what you're doing is you're amplifying the cost of them not solving the problem. Because the easiest thing in the world for all of us to do about a problem is to be in denial about it and pretend it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's like a person who needs to lose weight. I can speak to this from a place of authority because I'm now 50 pounds lighter than I once was a few months ago because I realized I looked in the mirror one day and said, who is that fat man looking back at me? Congratulations, Ray. Uh, thank you. Are you training with Cliff? Um, I am training with Cliff, in fact. Nice. Hashtag train with Cliff. Correct. <laughs> um, he just did a great Periscope on Fitbit and why he doesn't use it anymore. Just FYI. Oh, cool. We're talking um, about Cliff Ravenscraft for everybody out there listening. Amplifying the cost of not solving the problem for me looked like this. I began to think about, well, if I don't take care of this, obviously by not doing anything about it, I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm getting bigger. I'm getting less in shape. And that could lead to my having heart disease or diabetes or other problems. And so I need to do something about this because the ultimate outcome of that could be all kinds of things that are bad, like mm-hmm. glaucoma and you know, being in a hospital or being dead. And I'm, I'm not, uh, I have great, uh, hope in the hereafter, but I'm not in a hurry to get there right away. Um, so um, amplifying the cost of not solving the problem now is really important. And a lot of people get hung up on this because they feel like, well, are you using fear or manipulation? And I, I say, no, what we're doing is we're using reality to show people what's really going to happen if right. they keep going down the road where they're traveling. Right. It's a realization or helping people understand, well, these are the consequences that could happen. Right. I mean, it's like uh, the, I referred to this earlier, but that interview you did with Ryan, uh, I think was a real wake-up call for me because I realized I thought I'm doing pretty good with money. I'm doing pretty good with my plan for the future. But as I listened to him talk, I realized I've got some real areas where I need to work on this. Mm-hmm. And, and so he just exposed some of the problems in my thinking and amplified the possible outcomes that would happen if I didn't take care of them. So I thought that was very powerful. So we're amplifying the cost of the problem, and then we, we have a story. That's the, what the S stands for. The S actually stands for two things. The first part is the story. I, I think of it as the story of tragedy into triumph, because that's really what everybody, every story is about, right? right? 
anything we're selling, whatever it is, we're going from a, smi- a frowny face to a smiley face, and there's a process in between. That's what it breaks down to. Uh, that's what my friend Paul Evans says. He draws it on a board. He's, he's like, makes a big deal out of it. It's very sophisticated. He draws, he draws the, smi- the frowny face and the smiley face. <laughs> like, yeah, that's very powerful. It is powerful, but it's not nearly as complicated as most people think. So you tell the story, and there are quite a few story archetypes that people talk about. This is literally um, in the copy on your sales page, for example. You're telling a story. Yeah. So it okay. would be like if I was writing about, let's use an example. If I was writing about how to lose 50 pounds, something I know how to do. I could write and I could say, well, here's my story. I looked in the mirror one day and I saw this fat guy and I thought, who is that guy? And then I started thinking about what's going to happen if I don't do something about this. And so now I've got to choose how I'm going to frame that story or in what way I'm going to tell it. Mm-hmm. And archetypes are just these big universal um, kinds of stories, story types that we're all familiar with. And if you think about your story, it probably fits into one of these five. There's many archetypes People argue about how many there are, which I think is ridiculous. But uh, the five, I think, most used and most powerful ones are, one is the reluctant hero. So that's like Frodo Baggins or Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Um, Then there's the accidental discovery. There's the hometown boy makes good. There's the rags to riches story. And there's us versus them. And um, us versus them can be a very powerful story, but it's my least favorite because it just ends up feeling kind of angry. Um, ah. But it is, it can be a powerful story if, if you're on a mission and you feel like there's, you know, like some people are, are in the healthcare um, field and they have strong feelings about one group or another group and, and they may feel that it isn't us versus them. I think for a long time, the tobacco industry, the campaign to stop smoking, there was an us versus them kind of movement in the advertising campaigns that was telling people, look, it's us versus them. They want you to smoke. We want you to stop because if you don't stop, you're going to die. Right. And, I'm making no judgments about you if you smoke. I'm just using an example that I think most people can understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's like in the internet marketing space, a lot of people I know use the us versus them in terms of freedom versus being locked up in the corporate life. You know, yes, and exactly. really making that distinction uh, a big part of their, you know, the story for sure. Yes, and I mean, and your, you know, your story could be the reluctant hero story. Like, I know you didn't set out to be this like famous heroic guy, but you are that guy to a lot of people now because you've shown them a way that they can get free and, and be ethical and do it in a way that doesn't make them embarrassed when they tell their family what they do. Um, it, yours could also be the, uh, the accidental discovery of the hometown boy makes good story. Mm. So it's the same story, but just depending on how you want to frame it and how you're comfortable with framing and telling the story, you can choose which way to represent that story. And then the next part of the S of pastor is the solution or the system. So you tell that story of how I made this amazing discovery and it changed my life. And I realized this maybe would work for other people too. And so I started writing about it on my blog and explaining to people how they could create their own niche sites. And I mean, you've done, you've done this incredible thing, Pat, with the way you have built your business. And you went for so many, for years, just giving away the information about how to do what you did and what you do and other people were charging for that information. They were like, it was a protected, deep, dark secret, and you're putting it out there on your blog for free. Mm-hmm. And so um, that developed huge loyalty and connection with your audience. And you've got a lot, of, um, a lot of loyal followers because of that. And you've also got the next thing, which is the testimony. And this is, a, this is proof that what you're saying is true. And so you've got 
you need to have proof if you're selling something. You need to have proof on three different levels because there's three different questions that people are asking themselves. If they're looking at um, your, if you're offering a course on how to um, have a successful food truck business, for instance, then um, the person who's looking at your training on this is they're going to ask first: Has this person actually done what they're talking about, or have they done the research with people who have done it? Number two, they're wondering: Has this person been able to help others do what? this thing is better. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to help other people with their successful food truck business? And then number three is, can this person teach me to do what they're talking about? And that's the big one. That's where you got to have the, um, the know, like, and trust factor that we hear so much about. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to do something that um, has been referred to, and I don't remember who originated this or I would give the credit, but I can't remember who it was, but it's called revol- results in advance. So you actually give them some information or teaching or training or tool that they can use to start getting results based on your product or your service. And you're like, you're giving them a little piece of what you sell for free and it helps them really. And so they get results before they even spend a dollar with you. And that's some of the most powerful proof on all three levels that you could possibly offer. And a lot of times the sale is made right there. Yeah. I love it. So O stands for offer. And most people think that this is where you talk about the stuff that you're going to give people. Like, I'm going to give you a stack of CDs. Like if it was P90X, you know, the offer is not the, the DVDs and the wall charts and the chin-up bar and all that stuff that comes with it. Um, that's not the offer. The offer is if you will work your guts out, you will look like these people in this commercial. You'll have mm-hmm. chiseled abs and you'll have definition in your arms and legs and you'll look really good in exercise clothes and other people will look at you and say, wow, you look fantastic. Uh, that's the that's the offer. And so I tell people when you're writing about the offer, you want to spend 20% of the time writing or talking about the deliverables. That's the CDs and the wall charts and the manuals and whatever else, the membership site or the seminar. And you want to spend 80% of the time talking about the transformation, the change that you're bringing about in their life. So you do need to talk about the deliverables, but that's not really what they're buying. They're really buying the result. And so you need to spend your time talking about that mm. in the offer. Yeah, a lot of times I see it flip the other way around. Oh, most of the time. Because people think, you know, there's a saying in this business called the thud factor. Um, and that's the reference to the more stuff you can put in the box, the louder the thud it makes when it hits the ground. Mm. And um, so a lot of people would just create these, like they'd take a manual and they'd print all the pages on one side of the page and they do whatever they could to make the box the biggest, heaviest box they could think of. And it wasn't really about creating value. It was about having a big thud when the box hit the floor. And so that's how that, I think that mindset of, well, if I tell them all the stuff that they're getting, they'll, they'll clearly understand that it's, it's valuable. But I think actually the reverse is true nowadays. There, that may have been true in the old days. But I mean, what about you, Pat? If you're going to buy a training, do you want a training that's 25 hours of training or do you want a training that's 25 minutes long and just shows you how to do the thing? No, I mean, that's why Michael Hyatt's five days to your best life ever or best year ever course was so great because it was very, very just what you needed to know and that's it. And it was actually comparatively to a lot of other courses and memberships that I've been a part of very, very short. And if you just look at how many hours of video, you'd be like, wow, there's like hardly anything here. Is this enough? And yes, it absolutely was. And I know Michael's course did very, very well. And so that's definitely proof that, you know, it's not about the quantity, it's the quality. Absolutely. I had the same experience with Mike's course and I had the same reaction when I first saw the inside of the membership side. I thought, well, there's not much here. And by the time I was done with it, I was like, this is the most awesome thing. This is how it should be done. Right, right. Like, thanks for not wasting my time. (laughs) Yeah. 
So um, the R of pastor stands for two things. Response. This is where you request a response. You ask for the sale or the opt-in or the new behavior mm -hmm. if you're just selling an idea or a concept. What do you want them to do? You just tell them what you want them to do and how you want them to do it. And you don't have to be pushy about it. And then R is for results also. And that's where you show them the pain they will experience by not getting your solution or the pleasure that they will enjoy when they do get your solution. And you don't have to be pushy about it. You don't have to be sleazy about it. You can just remind them, you know, as, as we were discussing earlier, when you lose this weight or when you stop that habit that you're trying to stop or when you learn this way of building your business, things will be so much better because you can work less hours and you can get more done. You can be more productive and can have less stress in your life and make more money all at the same time. And so you just paint that picture for them about what life's going to be like once they get the solution that you're offering them. And so when you when you walk through that shepherding process like that, um, that that's a, I want to be clear, that's not necessarily an outline for your entire sales page. Yeah. But you could take those pieces of that pastor framework and write those pages of copy up and you would have much better copy than 90% of marketers on the internet do because at least you would care about the people you're writing to. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I love it. And for a sales page, it makes complete sense and I can see it working very well. Now, in terms of an email, I mean, long versus short, that's another conversation, but is this the same sort of sequence? Again, I love the shepherding thing. I, I, I feel like that that's a great way to approach it. A lot of people know that that's kind of my style. It's not about forcing something on them. It's not about that it's about just kind of guiding people along the way and this is a great framework for that but in your in, in emails because uh, emails where a lot of things happen even before people get to the sales page how do we how do we best craft our our emails i'm working on email copy right now as well and i'm trying to provide as much value as i can while also trying to be persuasive and getting people to click on things is can i use these same the same pastor structure or do i break them down maybe one of the emails is a story that then goes into the results and or does it go in the same order and has to include each and every one of these pieces? Well, the answer is yes. It can, you can mix okay. and match. Okay. There's okay. different ways. There's, I, I don't think there's any one right way to do it. I mean, it's like some people say, I've got the one and only blueprint to how to sell by email. And I think that's just bull feathers. Um, you know, it just doesn't work that way, but I do have some thoughts on this. And then I have a, a framework that I can share that I think works for writing just about anything. It's a good skeleton and we can go over that. If you want to go over those two things, I can share that. I think yeah, that. Let's, let's finish up with that. I think that'd be great. Okay, so for emails, I like to talk about putting a spin on your emails. And that is... Another acronym. It's an acronym. I, I knew it. Uh, S stands for the state your reader is in when they read your email. So just think about what state they're in. Like nobody probably woke up this morning saying to themselves, I hope somebody will send me an email today that markets a product to me that I hadn't thought about that I could buy. I don't think anybody had that idea. So what state do they come to email with? Well, when, they, when you open your email, just think about it in your own case. What you want is you either want important information that you're expecting from certain people, mm -hmm. like on your team or something, or you want a, something funny or engaging from your friends, or you want to hear important news from your family, or maybe some things you've subscribed to that you really like to read that are, that are important to you. Like um, maybe you subscribe to Michael Hyatt's blog. You like to read the blog posts that come in the email, whatever the case may be. You're looking for stuff that you anticipate receiving. And a lot of us, like me, I subscribe to a lot of different email newsletters, but I delete most of them. It's sad truth. Um, I delete most of them and I stop when I see a personal email. 
come in from somebody that I know or one that looks like a personal email. So I think the first step is to think about writing emails that speak to me less like a corporation and speak to me more like a person. Mm -hmm. The P in SPIN stands for purpose. And that is know the purpose that you have for writing the email and the purpose that your reader has for reading it. So if they expect certain things from you, and Pat, your readers have certain expectations from you. So if they get an email from you about something, uh, then they probably know what your purpose is because they know you well, and they know the purpose that they have for reading it, and so do you. And so that's important. It gets back to that knowing the person and the problem really well from the pastor formula. And then the I stands for the idea of the email. Every email should have one, just one big idea. Mm. And this is a mistake that so many people make. They try to cram three or four different ideas into an email. And I think, and some people that I respect and love and admire send out emails that have like, you know, five or six different items in them, like they're a newsletter. And those may work for some people. I've never had great success with that. I've always had more success with an email that is about one thing. Because we all probably have enough stuff coming at us that we don't need four or five new ideas thrown at us all at once. And there's a saying that the confused mind decides nothing. So I'd I'd rather have them decide to do something. And that's the end in spin. It's next. What do you want them to do next? What is the call to action? In an email, it's almost always the same. Click this link. Whether it's to go listen to my latest podcast episode or to go see this great video that I found, this TED Talk on YouTube that I found, or whether it's to click and learn about my new product that I want you to know about. There's always a next thing that you want them to do, and that's usually click the link. Mm -hmm. So that's how you put the spin on your emails. Love it. Okay, so the framework for writing anything. There's two things you need to do first, and whether you're writing an email or a blog post or a sales page or chapter in a book, uh, the first two things you need to do is you need to accurately identify what you are writing, and why. And so thing number one is know your most desired outcome. Why am I writing this? What do I want people to do? Even if it's a book, if you're starting to sit down to write an outline for a book, why am I writing this book? What do I want people to do? What's the call to action that the book has? It doesn't mean the book has to sell anything. Maybe the call to action is you want people to be better people. You want them to help the starving and and the hungry and the uneducated across the planet. That's a call to action if I ever heard one. But you need to know what that most desired outcome is before you start writing the book. And then the second thing is, I believe you need to state in a single sentence the thesis that supports your call to action. So you're going to make a statement that says, I believe that we all should be working together to eliminate poverty, hunger, and disease in the world because we can. And because we can, we have a responsibility to do it. And that's what this book is about. Mm. I've heard of an exercise once for a book in particular where you take a page and you just write exactly what this book's about and, and make it a page length. And then you take that page, you take the best stuff from it, and then you kind of try to sum it up in a paragraph. And then you take that paragraph and then you try to bring it down to this one single sentence. And it, it's for the same exact reason. That's just what you know the book is about and how you can best share it with others in a very short, succinct manner. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great methodology for writing a book and it's a great methodology for writing an email as well. You really think, because what you're really doing is you're really thinking about why am I writing this? What do I want people to do as a result? And how would I say in one sentence what the purpose of this email or this blog post or this podcast episode, what is it, what's the purpose of it? Mm-hmm. So then I suggest crafting your writing, and I'm not going to use an acronym this time, a shocker. <laughs> switch it up for you. Uh, nice. Um, I, I have something called, I call the 7P framework. 
And so that is um, seven pieces of whatever you're writing that if you do it in this sequence, I think you'll usually come out with a successful piece. Uh, so P number one is provoke. Say something provocative. That doesn't mean it has to be uh, improper. It just means something <laughs> that provokes a response from people. Like um, you might say, I don't think money is bad. In fact, I think money is extraordinarily good. And let me explain why. So you said something provocative and then you move into talking about num the P number two, which is the problem. And so you describe what the problem is that you're addressing in this article or this book or mm -hmm. whatever you happen to be writing. So I think there's a problem in the way we perceive money. We have a lens that we look at money through that says money is, is evil. Maybe we think money is the root of all evil. That's not what it actually says, by the way. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Mm. So um, that's a problem. The, the way we perceive that is a problem. And because of that, we often don't bring enough money into our lives. We don't bring as much as we could. And that makes us unable to help people in a way we need to help people. And then you make it personal. And so you might tell a story about how you went to Africa and you saw how badly help was needed there and you felt like personally drawn to do something about it. And you may tell a story about a, a particular child or person that you encountered there and you tell a personal story and then you make a promise. And the promise is the fourth P and the promise is by the time I finish talking to you today or writing to you today, you'll understand that not only should we do this, but we can and I'll explain how. And then you have the fifth P, which is proof. And this is where you demonstrate that what you are saying is possible and that it works and you show actual examples of how it's worked. And the sixth P is a proposal. And this is where you're proposing that they do something. And maybe the proposal is your offer. If you're selling something, if this is your sales page, then you're making a proposal. You're saying, I propose that you buy this training system, this product, this service. And if you do, you'll get this outcome and then there's number seven, which is the prompt. And if it's a sales page, the prompt is click here to buy now. Mm -hmm. And if it's a blog post, it might be, what do you think about this issue? Post your comments below or post them on social media. You're prompting them to do something. Or maybe you're just prompting them. If you've been writing about being kindness and doing one kind deed every day, your prompt at the end of that article might be, go out and do something nice for somebody today that's totally unexpected that you can never be repaid for. They won't even know you did it. That's your, that's your assignment for today. So that would be a prompt. So provoke, problem, personal, promise, proof, proposal, and prompt. I love that. That's a great way to think about it. So with anything, books, emails, blog posts, maybe a script for a video or even a podcast episode. Absolutely. Anything, anything nonfiction. I mean, if you're writing fiction and we're talking about something different, but anything nonfiction, you're either selling people on the idea that they can do something or that they should do something, mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. you're writing. Uh, maybe it's just that they should think a certain way about a certain political issue. And you'd say, well, I'm not selling anything. Well, you're selling a point of view. Um, or maybe it's that they can make a difference in the world if they will simply go out and do the following things. So you're not selling a product again, but you're trying to get people to act in a new way, have a new behavior. So anything where you're trying to persuade or where you're trying to empower, then this is a great structure for writing that kind of piece. Yeah, I love it. It just makes it so much easier to think about and tackle. I mean, when we approach a blank, you know, cursor or, or, or a, a blank paper or a blank book, it's, it's very difficult to get started. But when you can break it down in this way, it becomes a lot easier. And I just also noticed that through talking to you, Ray, like 
the way that you present things, going back to what I said earlier about all those examples that you have and analogies, it's just, it's just, it's, it's inspiring to see because you've taught us a lot of stuff here today that is going to be very helpful and life changing. And in the same way, we should be able to take a lot of these strategies and share them with our audience in, in terms of how we present what we have to offer them as well. So I, I definitely think, you know, this is one of those episodes where there's going to be a big butterfly effect at, that some people, even though they might not consider themselves great copywriters, they're going to at least have some framework to work off of and, and inspiration listening to this episode as well. So, right, I just want to, uh, before we finish up, just thank you so much for taking the time to come on today and, and share all this and not only teach everybody listening, but teach me too. I mean, I'm right in the middle of all this as well with the books that, I am, that I'm writing, the email copy that I'm writing as well, and also, you know, future sales copy too. So thank you so much for that. Well, you're certainly welcome. And I, I mean, I came here with the intention to really serve your listeners as much as I possibly could because I'm a listener and I feel, I feel the love in the, in the smart passive income community. And I just wanted to contribute to that. And then of course, you know, if you ever, you ever need some help with some copy, Pat, you can always give me a ping. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Now I know that you have some stuff that you have available to help other people with their copy as well. Do you want to talk about that really quick? Yeah, we've got uh, some free things you can pick up. Um, if you go to, we set up a special page for the SPI community. So if you go to rayedwards.com slash SPI, then we've got, um, a couple of gifts. We've got a guide to my 100 best testing subject lines for emails. And this is just where we took all the emails we've ever sent and we looked at the open rates, which emails got opened the most often. And so we compiled the top 100 subject lines and you can feel free. I give instructions in there about how to use them, but you can feel free to borrow them or even take them wholesale if you want to and copy <laughs> them word for word. It's okay with me. Thank you. Uh, people do it anyway, so I might as well give permission. <laughs> um, and then we have... Um, Three email templates. If you're like stuck with that blank page you were talking about earlier and you just would like a template to use to sort of get you started and maybe just start working with it and changing the text, then I have three different email templates that's in this second document that you can use. And then I've also created a, a new mini training on the framework for writing anything that we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's not a full-fledged course. It's pretty quick. You can go through it pretty quickly, but I think it'll really help. And it goes a lot deeper into what we just briefly touched on with those seven Ps and how to really put them to work in writing a blog post or anything else. I love it. So again, you can find that at rayedwards.com slash SPI. Is that correct? That is correct. All right, Ray, thank you so much. And uh, besides rayedwards.com, where can people uh, find you online? Well, on uh, Twitter, I'm at Ray Edwards. And on Facebook, I'm facebook.com slash Ray Edwards. And pretty much everywhere, Google Plus, I'm Ray Edwards. That's the easiest way to find me. Nice. Love it. Thanks, Ray. We appreciate you. And uh, we look forward to digging into more of your stuff. Thank you, Pat. It's my honor. Man, oh man, I hope you enjoyed that episode because like I said earlier, this is one of those that's gonna live on forever because the frameworks that Ray teaches are so relevant to everything we're doing because we're trying to make, change in people's lives. But in order to do that, we have to get them to come with us, to get excited about what we're saying and what we're writing. And Ray just laid it all out. And I can't wait to hear the impact that this episode is going to have when you put these principles into place and these frameworks into place. So if you want to check out more of what Ray talked about and the giveaways that he has for you, all you have to do is go to rayedwards.com slash SPI. Again, that's rayedwards.com slash SPI to download all those free resources that go along with this episode. You could also check out the show notes and the links to things we mentioned at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 182. Hey, really quick, I wanna let you know about a page on the website that might be really helpful for you. A lot of you are already taking action on what you've heard on the podcast, which is fantastic, 
but a lot of you have also messaged me asking for more, deeper information, more fine-tuned and highly targeted information for specific problems and pains that you might be having. So what I did was I actually put together a few courses. There's more courses actually coming down the road, uh, but you could check out all the courses and things that are available to you there at smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. My team and I have worked really hard to put together the best information that'll help you solve specific problems that you might be having in your business. So if you're just starting out and you need help and you need accountability, handholding, you want a community behind this as well, check it out, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. You can see what's available there. All different kinds of courses to help you through a number of different things you might be working on. And like I said, there are more courses coming down the road too. So one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. And hey, I also wanna give a huge shout out to Edgar, which is a, a web app that I use to manage my social media updates. And you know, doing that can take a lot of time. And, and the sad thing about it is when we post something on Facebook or Twitter, for example, I mean, it only has a short period of time to be seen before it kind of gets gone forever, right? But Edgar allows us to make sure that these updates that we post get seen and don't go to waste. If you remember Laura Roeder, a previous guest here on the podcast, she created this tool because it was just, there was nothing out there that could solve this pain and uh, it is amazing. I use it every single day. I also know a lot of people who use it and it has honestly shaved hundreds of hours of time off my uh, social media workload and so I highly recommend this and actually I worked out a deal with Laura. You can try this out for free. Only my listeners can get to try Edgar for free. Just go to meetedgar.com slash pat. That's M-E-E-T. E-D-G-A-R.com slash Pat. Again, you could try it out for free. See how it can help shave hours of time off your social media workload. Go to meetedgar.com slash Pat. Thank you again for listening in and I can't wait to serve you in the next episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Until then, again, make sure to check out the show notes at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 182. Thanks so much. I appreciate you and uh, let's keep moving forward. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.